Where is the only state capital dome made of wood? Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> And what's the origin of the mafia kiss of death? <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this half hour of the off ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off ramp—a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with some fun trivia. Well, Marcia, did you realize that there is a U.S. state capital whose dome is made of wood? No, I didn't. Is it?、Uh... Let me give you a clue. It's one of the oldest state capital domes in existence.、I'm、believe it or not. Trying to think of the early capital. Well, I can give you names of states. Choices. With... Give、yes. me choices. Okay, Kentucky, Maryland, Illinois, or Oklahoma. No, Oklahoma. I'll say. <laughs> Just because it's musical. Yes. Well, the answer is no. Oh, all right. All right. So it leaves Maryland, Illinois, or Kentucky. Illinois. No. No. Kentucky. No. I'll guess off the top of my head, Maryland. You're right, Marcia. <laughs> it's amazing how you figured that Isn't out. Isn't it deductive reasoning? Domes are generally synonymous with our state capitol buildings. Not everyone has one. Maryland's is the only one that's made of wood. Now they've got state domes made of zinc, made of concrete, made of brick and concrete, and terracotta domes are found atop the buildings in Kentucky and Pennsylvania. But Maryland's dome was built way back in 1788, when the country only had 13 states, and it's still there. It was constructed of timber and built like a ship, with no metal nails used in its construction. And to this day, it's held together by wooden pegs reinforced by iron straps. Forged by an Annapolis ironmonger. Monger. Yeah. So there、okay. you go. It's, it's、right. in Maryland. Now the I... newest state house dome belongs to one of the states you mentioned. <laughs> oh, Oklahoma. <laughs> yes. Their dome was added in okay. 2002. Okay. Sorry. Let me get to mine now. You know what the mafia kiss of death is in all the Godfather movies. You know, Marlon Brando saunters up to you and gives you a big.、Uh, Smooch on the cheek, yeah, big smooch on both sides. I think forcefully, yes. And then you're very, gone. You're, you know, and then they have this big look in their eyes. The recipient, oh my god, then、I'm、two、dead. people drag him away, and it's yes, over. And that's it. So, where did that charming custom come from? Oh, how charming!、Mm -hmm. Where did the kiss of death come from? It comes from the Bible. No kidding. Yeah, it's the New Testament, and it's related to the kiss Judas gave to Jesus oh, Christ. Oh, no kidding! While he was betraying him to the authorities. Oh dear! Didn't he point out which guy was Jesus by kissing him? Yes,、uh -huh. yes. Oh my、and、goodness! So that's where、uh, you so know. So that's where the inspiration the for the mafia to do that, right? <laughs> See, they're very religious. I'm gonna betray you with a kiss, just like our Lord and Savior. <laughs> oh my God! Help me! Oh God! Okay, Marcia,、uh, we know we have skyscrapers all、do、over we, the world. Do we know that, Bob? Well, most of us know that we have skyscrapers <laughs>、okay. all over the world. Maybe you don't, but in what city is the tallest building designed by a woman? Okay, in what city are we talking? America. Well, I'm going to give you clues. Oh, thank you. London, England. Uh huh. Chicago, Illinois. Uh huh. Toronto, Canada.、Mm? Or Stockholm, Sweden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll say, I'll say Stockholm. Uh huh. And why would you say that? 
I don't know. They seem enlightened a bit. Okay. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> okay, so where is <laughs> it if it's not? <laughs> it's not in Stockholm. Okay, tell me. It's either in London, Chicago, or Toronto. Chicago. It is in Chicago. Okay, According good. to TravelTrivia.com, Chicago, of course, is where the skyscraper was born. That started with the home insurance building back in 1885. And it's where the Sears Roebuck Company built the Sears Tower, later the Willis Tower, which was the tallest building in the world from 73 to 1998. Well, today, it's also where you'll find the 1,191-foot-tall the <laughs> Vista Tower, also known as the Residences at the St. Regis in Chicago. That's the world's tallest building designed by a female architect. Her name is Jeannie or Jean Gang. Uh-huh. She's responsible for it. And interestingly, there's another building it's right next to, and she designed it too. So she designed both the world's tallest and second tallest buildings designed by a woman. You know what I wish for, Bob? What's that? The day when we don't have to point out the first African-American, the first woman. I mean, when it's just is, you know? I okay. mean, we still do that, We can though. make that day now, and then nobody will pay attention to anything. <laughs> but no, I, I think it's good to celebrate. Well, how long? How many years? I mean, shouldn't it all be common enough now? Okay, I'll move on. Bob, how long? And this, you probably pondered this question this morning. How long does it take a drop of water to travel through Lake Superior to the ocean. Wow, from Lake Superior to the ocean. So is it going through the... Uh, it's going through Lake Superior. And all the Great Lakes, and then all well, the St. Lawrence Seaway and goes out east. That's, right. that's the way I was thinking. Okay. So I would say that takes a, a month and a half. Is it? 204 years, Bob. <laughs> Just like I thought. 204 years. Well, that, How wrong can you be? Wait a minute. That drop of water would be evaporated and recreated no, many, it, many times. It's in the water. Lake Superior takes 204 years because why? It is a darn big lake, isn't it, Bob? Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Lake Michigan, it takes 62 years. Oh, jeez. Lake Huron, 21 years. And Lake Erie, three years. Yeah. Let's see the evidence for this Just, one. It's crazy that it's that long. Hmm. Ponder that. Okay. All right. I'm pondering it. When will we ever come to a day when we don't, well, we don't have to say which lake. <laughs> Are you? Which lake is the one that takes the longest for the water to? Are you trying to, to vex me? Uh, yeah. Kind of. <laughs> right. Okay, Marcia, music question. Carol King, yeah. great music composer of pop songs. We've mentioned her numerous times over the years. She's uh-huh. a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What did she have to do with the British invasion? Remember all those bands that came over back in the I bet she wrote 60s? some of those songs. I bet she wrote some of those Hermit Hermits or something. Well, songs. she did write a song for Herman's Hermits. That's the answer. <laughs> See, what song was thing. it? I know things. What song was it? I know, the only song I know, I didn't care for them, but I'm telling you now. Uh-huh, that's not it. That uh, was Freddie and the Dreamers. Oh, yeah. No, I don't know what Herman sang. She wrote, I'm into something good. Something tells <laughs> me I'm into something good. Bob, since okay. we're singing, reminds me of Gordon Lightfoot, who yeah. recently passed away. Yes, yes. And what was his famous song? The Edmund Fitzgerald. Oh, yes. A well-done song. It was very well done. Yes, Anyway, my question is, how high were the waves that sunk the Fitzgerald? I believe they were 20 feet. Yeah, well, you're close, Bob. It's 23 feet. Wow. And the highest ever recorded in Lake Superior was 29 feet back in 2017. That's the, you know, the wave coming across your boat. So what chances is there of surviving that if that hits you? In many cases, that's just going to push the boat over. It's going to flip it right over or snap it in half as it did the Edmund Fitzgerald. 29 feet. That's just amazing. Yeah. That's scary as hell. I can't imagine seeing something like that. No, that would, uh, you Put know. Put the fear of God in you. 
That was recorded just north of Marquette, right outside my window where I lived for a couple <laughs> of years. But yeah, 29 feet. That lake, Bob, is home to 350 sunken ships. It's amazing. Yeah. Going it's, back to two or 300 years ago. It's over 1,300 feet deep in places. Yeah. Can I'm I tell gonna, you something? Yeah. My favorite line in that song I heard recently, uh, they were playing some of his songs and analyzing that one, and they just played the passage where the cook comes up and says, fellas, it's too rough to feed you. Oh. And then a little later he comes back and says, fellas, yeah. it's been good to know you. Oh, geez. Yeah. That was in his song. Isn't but, that a great line, though? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What the cook must have been doing. It, it, yeah. was, t- it was time for dinner time, and he what couldn't a, serve them. What a great metaphor for we're about to all check out. He was really a, more of a folk songwriter, oh, I thought, was, in many he ways. Was, yes. Okay. Do you know I used to barbecue on Lake Superior? Really? In 20-foot waves? <laughs> Frozen waves, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a bizarre thing living in that area, I'll tell you that. Okay, another history question. This comes from the same period I talked about a moment ago, Okay. Okay. In 1966, there was a duo known as Peter and Gordon. Yeah. You've heard of Peter and Gordon. I remember. And uh, Peter Asher, who later became a famous record producer for who? What female singer did he produce? Petula Clark? No. Um, all, uh, all Leslie of, Gore? All of Linda Ronstadt's big oh, records. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, she's very cool. But Peter and Gordon, they had a hit record with the song Woman. Woman, do you love me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Bernard Webb was credited as the composer of that tune, but... Bernard Webb was really another very famous songwriter. Who was he? Bernard Webb, songwriter. Uh, Is that Leonard Bernstein? No. Then I don't know. Paul McCartney. Really? He wrote the song and he used Bernard Webb as a nom de plume. And Peter Asher, he gave it to Peter and Gordon because Peter was his brother-in-law at the time when oh, okay. he's married to, or he's dating jane asher i think uh-huh. he's going to get married to her so he was a he was her her brother so okay yeah. all right bob is the moon getting closer or farther away from earth as the centuries roll by wow i never thought of this yeah, i hope it's, it's not getting just, too close just since you were born you think it's oh, gotten no. closer or farther away closer? well why would it be getting closer is it the earth's gravity is pulling it closer to uh, us you, i'm asking you bob it's coming closer because the earth's gravity is pulling it closer to us nope it's farther away oh geez in 4.15 billion bc the moon was only fourteen thousand miles away and today, it's 250,000 miles away. What so, was that first date? It says 4.5 billion BCE. Jeez, how, how does anybody measure something that far back? I don't know, Bob. <laughs> One major difference. Is there a born-on date or something? <laughs> today, it's 250,000 miles away. It didn't explain why it's going farther away. It's just it's pulling out into the galaxies farther every year. And hmm. it was originally part of the Earth, but it broke off. Did you know that? Well, I know there's that theory. Yes, I've heard of that before. Yeah, and it's just little by little keeps getting farther away. And the slow journey from Earth continues. And the sun will go supernova before this ever stops with well, the that, moon. Hopefully that'll be a little after we're gone. It should be. <laughs> it should be. Okay, Marcia, you know that famous date of July 4th, 1826. That's when two U.S. former U.S. presidents died. Yep, Jefferson and Adams. Yes, on the day Thomas Jefferson and John Adams died, one of America's greatest musical composers was born. Who was he? What was the year again? 1826. Okay. One of the, was it uh, one of America's greatest Tin music? Tin Pan Alley guy? Well, sort of. 
19th century composer, yeah. famous, wrote a lot Is of it songs. Tin Pan Alley? Wrote songs about the South. Yeah. Ray down on the... Swanee River. Yes. Yes. That would be... That would be... Oh, dear God. Everybody knows. Yes, everybody knows, <laughs> but Marsha. Okay, Stephen Foster. Okay. Yeah, he was born on July 4th, 1826, the same day that Adams and Jefferson died. He wrote oh. many songs about the South, but guess what? He only actually visited the South once. Oh, really? It was in 1852 when he visited New Orleans, and that was after he wrote Swanee River. <laughs> okay, Bob, what's the picture on the back of the Buffalo Nickel? It's an Indian or a, N- a Native American. Excellent. Yeah. Yes, you win. Dang, dang. That's it? All right, recently we had the 5th of May, which is known as... Cinco de Mayo. It's an Independence Day of sorts in Mexico. Independence from whom? Independence from whom? Yeah. Spain? Spain, that makes sense. Uh-huh. Guess what? What? No, it was independence from France. Oh, really? See, Cinco de Mayo isn't really the Independence Day in Mexico. That was That's in September. Mexico had already declared its independence from Spain in 1821. Forty years later, in 1861, Mexico did something that caused all the big powers to send troops into it. It said, we're not going to pay any more of our debts. So all the big powers came in, England, Spain, France. England and Spain pulled out, but France remained for about six years. And there was a big battle at Puebla in 1862 where 4,000 Mexican soldiers defeated 8,000 French that was a big morale wow. booster for the Spanish, and yeah. that's on Cinco de Mayo. That's okay, what Cinco that's de what Mayo, they're celebrating? They're celebrating the victory of Cinco de Mayo. Okay. And how popular is it? Some authorities say it stimulates more beer sales than the Super Bowl. No kidding. It is well, a big holiday. Wow, that's hard to fathom. Yes, it is. It is. That'd be hard to drink in, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think it's time for a break. Okay. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. We'll be back in a moment. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid, you've got it right. This is OK Boomer, and I'm Robert Rickman. We feature News of the Week. OK, Boomer. How history doesn't repeat itself, but rhymes. OK, Boomer. Colorful Boomer features, brain exercises, and, and, and... OK, Boomer. Uh, yeah, brain fog. You'll find OK Boomer wherever you download your podcasts. OK Boomer. OK Boomer. We're back. This is The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this every week for the Cedarburg Public Library and uh, its internet radio station. After that, it goes out over the uh, podcasting platforms to people all over the world. So fortunately, we have listeners in... Suburbs all over the world. Suburbs <laughs> all over the world. Multiple <laughs> continents of suburbs. All right. All right, Marsh, what you got? How long is the longest snake ever to be discovered? The longest snake ever to be discovered? Uh-huh. Woo, is it a python or something like that? It is. It's a reticulated python. Let me say it's uh, 25 feet long. Ooh, that's long. This is 32 feet and nine and a half oh, inches long. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just scary enough. That's creepy as can be, 32 isn't it? feet. Think about how long that is. That's like twice the length of this room. Jeez, that's amazing. And uh, you find these lovely native creatures in South and Southeast Asia. Yeah. You know how they smell, Bob? How snakes smell? You mean how they sense smell or how they stink? No, how they... <laughs> <laughs> that could be, they have an aroma? Is that well, what you're saying? Good yeah. good distinction, but no. you know, I meant to say, how do they actually smell? Through their eyes? Well, close. Their tongue 
Oh, really? Yeah, those little tongues that... Uh, That's what they smell with. Yeah, with their, you know, they're all of us out there yeah, with those little yeah. darting tongues. Yeah, they they... Ha- snakes have limited hearing and eyesight compared to humans, but they make up for it with an incredible sense of smell done through their... Tongues. Uh, yeah. Wow. Marcia, just talking about something we've discussed in the past about uh, how the commercial real estate market really hasn't recovered from the COVID lockdown. Mm -hmm. You know, all the office buildings, we see them in our city that are open and some being converted to uh, apartments. This is a headline from the New York Times over the weekend. Available for lease in Manhattan, a record 94 (sighs) million square feet of office space. Holy camoly, they're in trouble. They're in big trouble. And they said that the biggest trouble for these big cities is the uh, lack of, of tax revenue. If you don't have those buildings being paid for or tenants in there, you're not getting taxes. It's going to be interesting to see how this all fares out. All right, what you got? The phrase, put your best foot forward, means you're trying to impress someone or you're just you know, putting out your best self there. Where does that come from? What's the origin of that phrase? Put your best foot forward. Forward. Yes, of yes. course. I love words. It's origins. funny. I do too. And this one is one of those, it's got a just a great visual feel to it, right? Uh-huh. You're going to stride right in there, put uh-huh. your best foot forward. Does this have anything to do with somebody who didn't have a good foot in the behind? You know, is there a bad foot and a best foot? A That's, best foot, oh, a better foot? Oh, a- Bob, don't put that bad foot of yours out there. This goes back to when European men wore short pantaloons with tight stockings, you know? (laughs) And the stockings would conform to their muscular shape of their legs. Okay. And uh, if they did, they would vainly stand with their most attractive leg in a forward position to interest women. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And also to impress men with their strength. Oh, good Lord. So they would just put it out there and say, look at me, look at me. (laughs) Look at that ankle of mine. My, my, my. He has thunder thighs. That's lovely. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. See, I could see it being a a, a lady or a woman. Put your best foot forward. That's why I enjoyed it. It was the guy. That's funny. Hey, uh, speaking of things aren't as they used to be, uh, if your name is Habsburg, it's a different lifestyle because the Habsburg Empire ended in 1916. This is the uh, family that ruled Austria-Hungary for 600 years. This is European royalty, the Habsburgs. Gotcha. And there are 600 Habsburgs still around. They lead various lives doing various things. Ferdinand Habsburg would be the heir apparent to the house of Habsburg-Lorraine were his family in power today. Okay. But not anymore. (laughs) He races cars. Does he really? Yeah, that's what he does. (laughs) Okay. Just looks like a regular guy, you know, young man with a mustache. and Put a 50-pound crown on his head, and it changed his whole look. Okay. <laughs> it would change a lot. <laughs> but one of the things he revealed was, we all stay in touch. We've got a WhatsApp. <laughs> all the Habsburgs stay in touch. Really? Yeah. And they've got a WhatsApp to keep in touch because uh, they don't have thrones anymore or palaces, I guess. But just I thought it was interesting. You know, we've got uh, King Charles being crowned, and then we have the Habsburg monarchy is, you know, moribund. It's been moribund since 1916, but there's 600 members of it still and alive. And they're all on WhatsApp. You have their own WhatsApp. <laughs> That's very cool. He says, I've got houses all over the world I can go to. It's kind of like a free Airbnb. Oh, really? <laughs> is that they all share it? Funny. Hawks and doves, Bob. The terms for warmongers and peaceniks, right? Yes. Begin during what event? Hmm. Gee, I would have thought that had taken place a long, long time ago. Hawks and doves. Yeah, no, it's our lifetime. Then I would say the Vietnam War. 
But was it before that? Yes, it was the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh, no kidding. Yep. The term hawks comes from Thomas Jefferson. I didn't know that. Yeah, he, he coined the word war hawks. And dove, the dove came from the biblical book of Genesis when the story says Noah sent out a dove to find land. Right, right. And he returned with an olive leaf, but they weren't used together until the Cuban Missile Crisis. And people started trying to name the people that were pro-war and uh, anti-war. I didn't know that that's when it really kind of gelled together. Yeah. Wow. All right, Bob, name the top three countries with the highest average IQ scores. Okay, so you'd have to have these scores in a country where IQ tests were done. Well, that's a good deduction. So that would probably <laughs> lead us to be in Europe, the North American area, or Asia. Okay, so I would say, I'll say the United States is one, hopefully. I will say, let's see, let's do a European country, Germany, and I will do China. Well, you were wrong, wrong, and wrong. What? <laughs> U.S. is uh, number 28, actually, with an average IQ score of 97.443. Okay. Okay, number one is Japan, 106.48. Coming in next, Taiwan, 106.47, so they're virtually Thai. Okay. And Singapore at 105.89. Wow, this leads to the answer to the question, why did those Asian kids do so well in well, school? Well, what do you think? They're, they value education. They value education. And the parents, you know. Promote it, exactly. Promote it, make them study. So and, those have the highest IQ scores. Japan, yeah. what was the other, Taiwan? Uh, the top five, Japan, Taiwan, Singapore, and Hong Kong. Wow. And the... Uh, well, yeah, I was technically right. Hong Kong is China, so I got one point. All right, but that was number five, so <laughs> well, I you said the top three. But okay, okay honey, you're sure. Right, we'll, I was we'll wrong. Give you, that. you want to know the lowest? Yes, what's the lowest? The lowest, Nepal. Hmm. It's 42.99. That's pretty low. The air's so thin there, so you're way up in the mountains. <laughs> that's the reason. Sure, that's why. They're, <laughs> they're landlocked in South Asia, so Go. Liberia comes in at 45.07. Sierra Leone, 45.7, so they're tied. And then uh, next. Uh, is Guatemala at 47.72. So those are the last? Those are the lowest. Yeah, the lowest, lowest being Nepal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's good. Hey, why did the British cover an ancient hillside horse design with grass in World War II? Say again? Why did the British cover an ancient hillside horse design with grass in World War II? Horse design? What's that? Well, there are these ancient hillside designs across Britain of horses. There are some with horses standing, and there's some. They're like chalk designs that were in the ground that were actually dug into the ground. Really? They're chalk mounds or chalk hills. Okay. And uh, so there's this one. It's called the Uffington White Horse near Uffington, Oxfordshire. It's an ancient chalky white design embedded deep in a UK hillside. It's abstract, bearing similarities to the horses depicted on Celtic or Celtic coins. Or some say, maybe a St. George's dragon. Anyway, it wasn't just scratched into this chalky hillside, but it was dug in up to three feet deep. Jeez. It's been there for centuries. Huh. It's 360 feet long, so it's a big design. So big, the British military covered it with grass during World War II, so German Luftwaffe pilots wouldn't uh, use it for navigation. I was going to say, that would be a, a little map for them, where they were. Not a little map, but a big one, yeah. yeah. So, uh, And they recently they did some scientific tests of the soil. It dates between 550 B.C. and 1380 B.C. Okay. The Bronze Age. Huh. 
So anyway, so that's why they covered up. That's why the British covered this ancient UK hill design with grass during World War II. Okay, that makes sense. How did a trophy become a symbol of victory? Oh, how did a trophy become a symbol of victory? Okay, now some of the first, a lot of the classic trophies are like cups. Uh-huh. So I would assume that the first trophy given to a team somewhere in ancient times was a big cup of wine or something like that. <laughs> that and so that good. was the how trophies kind of evolved from yeah. that. Well, that's much nicer than what really happened. Okay, it was a cup of blood. <laughs> Is it something like that? It's pretty gory. Oh, dear. Let's just say... Be thankful for the Lombardi Trophy, and okay? Oh, gosh. (laughs) After a victory on the battlefield, ancient Greeks would build a monument dedicated to a chosen god, and they called the monument a trophy. And the trophies were made of various limbs stripped from the dead enemy soldiers. Oh, dear. And then hung on a tree or a pillar. Oh, my. <laughs> so that was the trophy. The trophy is made out of a bag of bones, just a ba- bunch of bones, ba- huh? Well, limbs. Oh. Limbs hanging on a tree or a pillar, and that was called a trophy. And that's where the term came from. So then when people say a trophy in battle and they talk about cutting off an ear or something, that's yeah. where it comes from. Oh, jeez. Oh, and, dear. And some say it's a ritual kept alive today by some uh, modern trophy hunters who celebrate their victory over an animal by putting its head on the wall. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense that that's where that term comes from. Yeah, their trophy. Oh, my God. Oh, that's sad. Okay, well, that makes that, uh, it seems less diabolical to say the trophy of war then, because that's where the whole thing came from. Yeah. All right. Well, we know that empires have taken over countries over the years. Usually there's a war, some kind of a conflict. But actually, one of the United States was taken over in a bloodless coup by England in 1664. What state was taken over by England? Oh, gosh. Let me think. It has one of the very first cities. Okay, I'll say Vermont. Vermont. No. Ah. <laughs> uh. Rhode Island. No, too small. Too small. <laughs> Tell me. New York. Oh, New really? York was ah. New Netherlands. That's what it was. Originally, uh, what became New York was a Dutch colony named New Netherlands, and then it uh, its largest city was named New Amsterdam. So they yeah. had their plans for being, you know, big in the United States, what yeah. we now know as the United States. It was a prosperous but lightly defended colony, and the English took an interest in it. And back then, the English did whatever they wanted to do. <laughs> yes, they did. So the British Navy sailed into New Amsterdam Harbor with a huge flotilla in 1664, and they achieved a bloodless takeover when the Dutch leaders surrendered. And later, New Netherlands got a new name, New York, and the city became New York City. So that's how it all started. I'll be danged. Okay, I'm going to finish up with two great quotes on leadership. Okay. One from Georgie Patton. Georgie Patton. Little Georgie Patton. (laughs) Little General Georgie Patton. He talked like this when he was a boy. I always liked this one. Yeah, okay. I think this is what uh, you said to me when we got married. Lead me, follow me, or get out of my way. (laughs) (laughs) I did say that to you. No, I did not. I never talked to you like that. Okay, and then there's Casey Stengel. There are three kinds of people. Those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who ask, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) That's me. What did I miss? What is that from Hamilton? What did I miss? That's right. (laughs) All right, we... uh... 
That's funny. Those are those are two very good quotes. Thanks, Marsh. You're welcome. Well, dear. that's it for today. We uh, we always enjoy hearing from you. And if you'd like to contribute to the show, you can go to our website, theofframp.show. Scroll all the way down to contact us and leave us a message or a question for us to answer. That's it. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. Indeed. Here on The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.